got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Listen up, NBA fans. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up using code TBE. Select between two and six NBA players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Track your picks and play against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now using code TBE and take on the competition with your best NBA player picks. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code TBE. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings Pick 6 operates. Pick 6 not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, please visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut to it, cut to it, let's get down to it, cut to it. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. Just getting back in the swing of things, took a little break. Um... Took a little break, and we'll get into that. Um, Can't nobody say hi to me. I'm just sitting here. Oh, what up, Joe? Hey, fellas. What's going on? Backstage Joe. Backstage Joe. Them Not backdoor Joe. Yeah, different, guy. Okay. different guy. Different right. guy. I made my own Mike Hot because okay. I want to be part of this since <laughs> I missed y'all. Mike Hot and backdoor Joe, I'm, I'm already ready to be it's done with this podcast. backstage. <laughs> that's not my stage name, Mike Hot. That's a, that's a, that's a different ballgame, son. All right. So, um, so I had to I, – I, with the pandemic, I really kind of, me and my wife had a great understanding and conversation. It was like, look, when the pandemic is over, everything we want to do, traveling-wise, let's do it. Because one of the things I, I feel like the pandemic did do, it exposed blind spots in myself. Can't really say about my wife or buddies. I can just say for me. And in that blind spot, 
I'm not really a camper, so I did some camping. Camping. Camping? Yes, camping. Like like backpacking and like a RV camping. Like a s'more? S'more, like a pull up to an RV camp and uh clean out the toilet and grind up the items in the toilet. Oh, so it's like some MTV road rules type stuff. No, not no road rules. Okay, this so is, it's a uh, different level than that. So no, like the Griswolds? The Smiths. Oh. I didn't see that show. Yeah, I didn't see that. It's, it's new. What channel okay. was that on? WB. <laughs> <laughs> With that frog. I had to, man. I had to. Welcome back <laughs> to the WB. So, uh, so, one of, so one of the things I did was I went back um, I went back home and I saw some things. Um. And it was good for me. And every time I go back home, I used to go back home a lot when I was in the league. But when I go back home now, um, it's a different reset. And it and it, uh, it energizes me. It resets me. gets me back on my focus to where uh, I come back hot. I come back uh, focused. And so um, one of the things it did is it – it triggered and reminded me something that I experienced when I was a young, when I was probably in the seventh or eighth grade. Hmm. And so it leads me to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always big on words and, and definitions. And um, so I'm going to ask, ask both of you two gentlemen that I call friends and brothers, what's your family heirlooms? And so I'll read up hmm. and give you the definition of what the heirloom is. So it says the first one, a a piece of property such as a deed or or a chapter that descends to the heir as an inseparable part of inheritance of real property. Two, which I feel like this applies to something of special value handed down from one generation to another. And for me, one of the things that I realized what was handed down to me was I was handed down, whether my family knows it or not, and something that I noticed is to take away that part of daydreaming, Hmm. taking away of shortchanging yourself. When I was, uh, when we were, I, I believe, either eighth or my freshman year, sophomore year, I can't remember exactly what grade I was in. And the reason I started my foundation is my mom was fleeing a domestic violence situation. And when my mom was fleeing that domestic violence situation, um, um, some folks came on, some church, a church that, you know, we kind of went to here and there. Um, came home. So when she came home, she was told, we told my mom came home and said, hey, we got to go. Pack up all your stuff. Wow. And so when she packed up all her stuff, we had to leave. And we lived in a motel for about a week. And I had to catch the bus. And and then after that, I went with an aunt. Now, I'm not going to say this aunt's name because my family, uh, some of my family listens to the podcast. But this aunt, uh, made me and my mom and my brother, when we came there, to kind of stay until he, until my mom's husband, who was not my father's name, was Sylvester Morris. Sylvester uh, was very abusive. Sylvester was, uh, 
he was at the, actually at that time he was um before they you went through TSA became TSA he actually used to smuggle he wow. used to uh clean the money and basically he'll go on a trip and be strapped with ten thirty thousand dollars worth of cash and he'll take it on site and so we used to get that money um but he was also he smoked crack he smoked weed to keep during the week, but he used to smoke crack. And every time he'd go do one of those money uh, cleaning deals on the airplane, he'd get missing for a couple of days. And so when he got missing this last time, uh, my mom, we was like, we out of here. And so when we left, um, stayed in a motel, and then we went with my aunt. And my aunt made us clean her her duplex or her apartment or house, whatever it was, and it had three bedrooms. And she made us basically to pay the rent. That was our way of paying. And why do I say that is more of I didn't realize that in a desperate time with family, my aunt made us clean her house so we can stay there. Hmm. And then my mom was like, you know, Stevon, if you want to make it to the league, because I was doing bad, and obviously school was a little bit of the last thing that was on my mind at that time. Uh, and none of my boys back home that I was going to school with knew. They just thought I still lived on, what was it, 29, 20 half Cambridge Way. And none of them knew that we were, where we were living, so I got on a different bus, stop, and all that stuff. So I wasn't doing good at school. My mom said, you know, if you, if you want to do what you want to do, Go to school, you know, go to, you want to play ball like you said, play in college. You got to pay attention. Man, you need, Stevon, you need to tighten up. And mom asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go to the league. And I never really put it in this perspective, but I remember she saying, she told me you need to have a more realistic dream. And bro, that crushed me. Wow. If I'm being honest, it pissed me off. I bet. Mm-hmm. It pissed me off to the point of this aunt now, at 42 years old, when I was in the league, she would ask me for stuff. Ask me for this, ask me for that. I ain't never signed shit for her. And still having I won't. Because I only can speak for what I know and what I've experienced. And one of the things that's tough is I hate the fact that we, in a time where I needed someone to encourage me more, she should on my dream. And then when I made it, now she want to partake in it. And I realized, and I go back, and, it, and I didn't realize I even had that wound. And, uh, you know, and God has helped me deal with it, is I realized that she showed me, she sold me short. She told me to stop daydreaming. When at the time, you're supposed to daydream. When you're a little kid, when you're a boy, freshman, you get you you fleeing from your your mom's husband, bad habits. That's, that's all I got. And she took that away from me. Hmm. Wow. And I hate the fact that too many adults we poop on young men and women, especially people of color, amongst our own selves, that we, don't, we, we shortchange ourselves to daydream. And so I'm, te- I'm telling you, you know, 
till the day I die, man, I ain't going to shortchange myself no more. Mm. I'm not going to tell myself, stop dreaming. Well, and I think that's the family heirloom that some of my family members, because of our circumstances, we may have done to each other mm. unconsciously. That what we've handed down generation to generation has said, oh, you want to be this? Nah, <clears throat> that's too big of a, that's too big of a ask. We don't do that. I mean, I, you asked about the heirlooms. I, I can't really tell you an heirloom. I know physical physical wise we don't have some some families have bibles some families have things they've passed down i don't have none of that for me um and, and my wife what's big for us is breaking generational curses and that ain't answering your question no it is but for it but is. For, but for, but for me it is um being able to pass my pass on to my kids financial literacy giving them um a nest egg being able to the generational trauma and the hurt and all these things that I hear you talking about that you experienced. And, and now you're able to um, almost look back and deconstruct what it is and where it came from, that kind of stuff that is very present in my family. And now, um, you know, you, you've shared some stuff. I haven't seen on this podcast before, but I, I lost my dad a few weeks back. And even in that, what's happened is I'm able to look back the same way I'm talking with that is be able to look back and be able to deconstruct not only his life and his impact on my life, but how it's affected my life. And all that does is really reinforce what I believe um, I'm called to do. And I know I speak for my wife when she says the same thing is, is breaking curses. So that's what I can because that's literally what this time in life is, is that generation after generation after generation of hurt, generation after generation after generation of pain, generation after generation after generation of letdown or poverty or any of these other things that do tend to plague so that's, not just not just families of color, but a lot of families. Oh, yeah. So that so that tells me my family heirloom my family heirloom until mine was a little bit of the negative thinking. I, I was gonna say mine is peace. That's what your family's. I want to pa- no. That's what I'm not want to. That's I'm going to pass along peace. Okay. Well, that that beats my coin collection that I had. So <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, to sit, you know, Gerard and I have the luxury of you know knowing you pretty well and knowing where you came from and knowing about your life. And every once in a while, I get a little nugget or a little kernel of something like, ah, I didn't know that. But now it makes sense because when I see you interact with the public and even in private, the way you treat people and even, you know, I go back to, you know, a banner that we may have talked about, about some of these rising upcoming athletes, you you were still positive to them, even though you did it in your own way. You didn't poop on their dream that they were going to be an athlete or they were going to play for University of wherever. So you've taken what you said and you continue to live it. It's not just a a piece of verbiage from your history. And then folks that know you know what drives you. Like, you know, you were that dude. You know, look at all the athletes we've had. You know, Steve's a dog. Well, there's things in your upbringing that made you that person today. So I know it sucks, and I know it it stung you in a little bit, but the, the, it hurt gla- the glass half full piece is um, that drive and could, partially could it be, man, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. Whether it was a coach, whether it was your aunt, whomever it was. Um, so, yeah, that's horrible and that sucks. But 
what it's done for you that like, man, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to hurt these people or hurt these youngsters. So um, I appreciate that story. And then, you know, G, looking at you, you know, from the story you want to do is maybe you didn't have any family heirlooms, but you want to create them yes. with your family growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is a material item. There's <clears throat> a couple of material items. Is uh, To this day, I still have this. Call, it's like a Rambo knife. It's not a coin collection. I was trying to lighten the mood okay. a little bit. It was but, good, though. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's this Rambo knife that my dad had. My dad was in the Marine Corps for many, many years, um, and he had this knife that when he was a young adult, he went in at 16 years old. His mom actually signed him over and said, yep, here you go. He's yours now. Mm. So my dad was in the military for many, many years, and, he, and for whatever reason, he kept this knife. So, you know, I'm, I'll be 50 years old next month. So I've had that knife as long as I can remember. And we take it camping and we, you know, I do tasks with it. But even when I just go cut a string, like I envision in my mind, like, man, you know, Papa Joe is what we call my dad. Like, what did he do with this? Mm. Some things we might not want to know. But the thing, <laughs> you know, the things that he did allows us and others to do what we do today. You know, so I'm, I'm very loyal to military, even my wife. You know, we have her father who's passed away. You know, we have his hat. Hmm. So, you know, our family's very military driven. And, you know, it's funny, my daughter's sitting in the studio right now, Ava, and like, we want to pass it on to her because she knows the type of individuals they are. But like, anytime I get that knife in my hand, it's a piece of my father. Anytime Hmm. we look at that hat that, that my wife Kim has, it's like, that's a piece of her father. So those are heirlooms that aren't monetary value things, um, but they symbolize something to us. So that's kind of when you said heirlooms, that's the first thing that I thought about. Like, man, I got that knife and, you know, Kim has that hat. So it's it's just really cool to think what each heirloom means to each family and what they want to do with it. So, uh, you know, it's it, it, that's really neat. So, you know, both of y'all, like I said, I learn something every every time we talk, something new about you guys. Yeah. It, so it brings to me, usually we do it at the end, but it's the beginning. When a man's willing and eager... God will join in. Yeah. So I was, I've been willing and eager to reshape, change my perspective and thinking. And in doing that, God joined in and showed me I got to let some things go. So today, letting go of what my aunt said, I let it go. I'm exposing myself. But you're still inside on that jersey, are you? Nope. <laughs> Who we got? first segment is called get ice stuff it's our version of icebreakers if all right are you ready maybe okay buckle up buttercup. uh it's nope, on you not. so if you fail <laughs> it is your fault yeah. well that's life in a nutshell all right what type of sugar do you prefer brown sugar or white sugar oh brown sugar always <laughs> okay yes! brown sugar always part. Oh, it's a party. (laughs) But you know, you can turn white sugar into brown sugar, sort of. Caramel. Is there science behind that? Is there science? I know some some dudes, and their name is Pookie, Richard, and a whole bunch of other names that know how to to turn some white sugar into (laughs) some brown sugar. 
Well, I think white sugars want to be brown sugar. The truth is like brown sugar can't be turned into white sugar. So there's the authenticity. Yeah, that Preach. is true. Yeah, Preach. you're preaching. You're preaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Backstage, don't get mad. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, our talent acquisition manager is not liking this conversation. Yeah. About he's, trying to, he's, trying to, he's trying to wrap us up. Nope. No, no can do. Uh, huh? Move on. I know. 2021 is brown sugar year, right, baby. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So one, you being a bona fide cook, one thing your family loves for you to make, but realistically, you're like, do I really have to do that again? Oh, um, she said like, oh, that's several things. Right. It's a couple of things. I mean, truthfully, I, I see my mom so rarely that I'm always very happy to like do whatever she wants me to do. Normally, it's like a giant pile of like celery and onions and carrots for Thanksgiving. Like she's given up doing the prep. She doesn't let me cook anything. It's all like Linda's Thanksgiving, but I am the hands that do all the chopping. She's like, you can just get it done a whole lot faster. So I just I come into my mother's house seeing like mounds of produce that she needs me to like break down for her, which I truly do not mind doing. Slight flex. So all you're doing is prepping. Exactly. She wants me nowhere near the actual preparation of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is like mother specific, right? It's regional. It's mother specific. I don't want my Thanksgiving. When I go to her house, I want her Thanksgiving. Mm, it's like taking my quarterback and putting him at right tackle. Like, kind of, yeah. Oh. Your team sucks, Dan. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've heard and read you're a spice junkie. What's your oh, go-to I am. Spice? What's your go-to spice? I have a jar of Vietnamese chili in my fridge at all times. It changes because I get, I'm also, I get very bored very quickly, but right now it's um, this jar of Vietnamese. It's literally just red Thai chili that's been chopped up with a little bit of vinegar, salt, and sugar. What kind of sugar? Steve is furiously taking (laughs) palm sugar, actually. So it's not, it's, um, it's from, it's, it's from palm trees. So sugar from palm trees. We have a beet sugar at the house. Ooh. Look at that. I, when I tell you I like to cook, girl. Mm. You beet sugar. What do you use it for? They're Go gonna, ahead. You, it's like you're on an episode of Chopped right now. Yeah. Make uh, something. Well, we use it. I use it as a sugar substitute when I do the homemade pizza. Ooh. You passed. Does you passed. it turn your dough to color? Like, is your, is your dough No, no it's, actually, it's actually the beet sugar white. What does a chef think about infomercials like cookware and knives? First of all, I don't like my counters in my kitchen junked up with a lot of stuff. I like them clean. I always feel like in cooking, whether it's professionally or at home, I feel like your head feels like your workstation looks. Like if stuff is just like everywhere and there's no room to work and it doesn't feel clean, you just feel really you know, disorganized and not focused in your head. So I don't like a lot of stuff on my counters. I disagree with that. I, I, you don't like the... I like the gadgets and gadgets sometimes. No, I disagree. Air fryer. With, I disagree with the splattering of papers because that's my office and my office <laughs> and at my home. And, if I'm, and if things I'm, get done. If I'm cooking, then there's a mess all over the place. <laughs> I think it's just I didn't used to be that way before I started cooking professionally. And now cooking professionally becomes and my, look, I'm, I'm literally sitting at a desk with my assistant and I and there's shit everywhere she's looking at me like i'm i'm the second coming of the devil but there's stuff everywhere right now so i am you know i'm not dying on the hill of being the most organized person but when i cook i do need things organized so back to the gadgets um you guys are dudes and dudes love gadgets like it's proven it's science it's just in you guys it's in your dna um i have been so profile 
<laughs> I am. I'm totally profiled. So gender you. profiled right yeah. there. Absolutely. Even no though question. I am a gadget guy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I, no. You were correct with it. I just I had a feel? delayed reaction. Like I was a baby. Right. Hand on the stove. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. A little delayed. What? I appreciate you standing up for your gender and not being profiled. I will say there are obvious exceptions, but more, <laughs> more than generally, you guys really like gadgets. So um, I, have a, I like, did have a bow flex, but anyway, <laughs> you're you're not disproving my point. Um, there, I, I'm, I'm so I've been so anti gadget for so long that really coming around to them has been, uh, like my first rice cooker I bought a couple of years ago. And I was like, wow, this, we can like cook perfect rice and not just set it and walk away. Like that was my, like my head exploded. I've been cooking for 20 years. So I'm not generally a big gadget person. I will say I got my butt caught in a competition and I can't go super far into this because it's about to air um, where there was a very common gadget that I had to use. And I really was lost. Wow. Like everyone has one right now. Can we like say it? Because I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's, you know, my favorite chicken is made this way. Mm. Oh, it's an air fryer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I Lost. It. I didn't know how to use it. I had to be, I, me, I, it was tough. Lesson. I'll put everything in the air fryer. Listen. I've heard. I'm very close to getting one. Sandwich. Does your house, does your house smell like fried food? That's what I want to. Nope. No, we black. Mm -mm. <laughs> And if it did, I wouldn't know. We, we, Can I just tell you, I worked as a private chef once and um, for a very well-known black family. And um, I made the mistake of frying chicken inside. They and, you. Oh, I, it was, I nearly lost my job. Mm -hmm. You can't, let me tell you something, what you can't do for black folks. You cannot mess up no chicken. Mm -mm. Oh, I didn't screw up the chicken. It, the house smelled like chicken. They were like outside, get that outside. Yeah. So, yeah. We have to take a break, and more than anything, we got to pay some bills. Mm-hmm. Need that check. I love Cut To It, and I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media, too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook? Cut To It featuring Steve Smith Sr., what about online? And you can follow us at cuttoitpodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers questions. Um, I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cuttoitpodcast.com. Are you all about the NBA action? You've got to try Pick 6, the newest fantasy app from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can earn a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Getting started is simple. Just download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up with code TBE. Pick at least two players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Like, will they score more or less than 30 points or have more or less than eight assists? Lock them in and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and get started with code TBE. New customers can earn a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code TBE. The crown is yours. 
One offer per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit to receive a match of up to $100 in Pick 6 credits. Non-withdrawable and valid for Pick 6 use only. Expire after 180 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick 6 states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Got my PrevNA 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Where are you from and the place you call your hometown? Oof. Um, It's one of the hardest questions for me to answer. Hometown is Boston. I've been here on and off for the last 20 years. It's where it's what I absolutely consider as home. Um, Where I'm from is harder. I grew up in a military family. So I was born in Germany. It was Germany, Texas, Oklahoma, California, Greece, and then that rotation all over again. Um, So everywhere, nowhere, but Boston's home. Growing up as a military kid, you moved so many times. Yeah. If you can go back in time, is there one place that you, you, if you had the choice, you would have chosen to stay there and grow up? Ooh. What a good question. No one's ever asked me that. Thank you. Um, different places for different things. I'll be honest. So run, run, run yeah, around. tell us girl. Greece um, for wow. just this year. It was so lovely. Um, living there was such an immersive experience. Um, culinarily, even before I knew what culinarily even meant. Um, I understood what hospitality and being really taken care of under like meant for the first time. Um, and that's just culturally, like that's what, who the Greeks are. Um, and it was just the most stunning place physically. Um, for me specifically, um, I mean, I was lived in California for a very long time. I moved from the South, from Oklahoma to California, kind of somewhere right before high school. And had I not done that, I think it would have taken me a very much it would have taken me a lot more time to figure out who I am in terms of me as a person um like my own my sexuality like all of the things that I ultimately know as myself as a whole it would have taken a lot longer to get there because we were really ensconced in like deep deep southern sort of bible 
not particularly, and, and this is not saying religion is bad at all. It was just very, um, our church was not the best place. Like there's a lot of shenanigans that went on. So getting out of that was really good for me. So probably either Greece or California, but ultimately I left California on my own. Um, you know, it, it's all of those things are, it's a, such a good question. And I think in terms of fantasy that the question would be Greece, but I'm so grateful for the moves that were made when they were made and the choices that I, I made in my life. I just continued to get what I needed along the way. So as lovely as the question is, I wouldn't change it. So what was Tiffany Faison like as a kid? Oh, Jesus. Um, Sounds like you're going to need him to explain his answer. Precocious, for sure. Um, Singularly driven. Like if there was something that I wanted to do, I just, it was 100 miles an hour towards that thing until I was good at it or I stopped. So like I was an all-American cheerleader. Um, I... It just, you know, just nonstop. And then at some point in high school, that sort of stopped. And I started to, I was in a kind of weird program in high school and I had a really influential teacher in my life. And I started to learn how to really think critically and understand, you know, the arts and literature and, and the world around me and what things meant politically and um, understanding how to s- see the lack of justice and equality in the world. And that began to kind of really change my life. Um and I also became like a serious troublemaker. Um, just the worst jokes, practical jokes, or you were the troublemaker. Oh yeah, like so. This is a pretty good example. Um, I was. I stopped cheerleading because I just um, it wasn't a particularly healthy environment. The there was a year it was uh, my soft junior year, maybe, um, and I was an all American. I wasn't allowed to be on varsity. The varsity cheerleaders came to us at the end of the year and said, hey, we're going to have a banquet. You guys are going to cook for us, set it up, clean up, plan all the things. And the team looked at me because I was a loud mouth and they were ready for me to be like, absolutely not. And I just said, yeah, you guys have worked really hard. Let's do it. So I made the world's largest batch of X-Lax brownies for the banquet. <laughs> that's what, what I didn't know. That's what, what I'm talking about. Didn't know Man. is that there was faculty and teachers there. No. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know they were coming. So continue with the story. This is like so, a Comedy Central movie. Hey, so run yeah, it, give us run it down sp- for us. Spill, spill all that tea. <laughs> spill it all. They, well, um, people got sick. Obviously, um, there was someone who had some sort of like bowel issue anyway, and so it's like hauled into the principal's <laughs> office and the vice principal's office, and um, I. The, you know, I was told that I, I it was attempted murder, and I tried to kill this woman. Oh, did, so they I mean, they did everything they could, yeah, to try and scare me. Well, I, I wasn't confessing to the crime, so they were trying oh, to get oh, me. Ain't no snitch. Not a snitch. Oh, they they try to treat her like a black person. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. They try to, to sneak one on you. <laughs> try to sneak one on you. Yeah. So they sent me outside of the office and let me That's see. Every one of the cheerleaders walk in one by one and they questioned everyone. Oh, then you got interrogated. Yep. So I, and I watched that. I knew who snitched. I knew, I still to this day know who snitched. Karen, huh? Well, no, but yes. (laughs) 
It was a Karen. It was a Karen. She has a yeah. I'm not gonna. Yep. She, she wrote it. She wrote it. No, I'm not gonna say it. I heard it. I heard it. She knows who she is. She knows who she is. Her whole cake. She almost did. She look at. She said, "Hmm." It's still an X lax brownie with her name on it. Oh yes, there is. Yeah. Let her. Hey. Let her walk in one of my restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would never do that in my restaurants. Okay, cool. That's cool. I would. If she invited me to her house, it's, it's I would slowly. Yeah. If she see her, it's on site. Bet that. <laughs> Bet that. Bet that. Run it. Run it. So with all that, what was the most challenging moment you overcame growing up? Yeah, there was a lot of things. I think, um, I really think it was just a culmination of constantly moving. Right. And like you're the new kid and it's fun for a very long time. And then all of a sudden you're not, um, you know, when people are more concerned about what people think of them and it's high school and everyone's clicked out and in their little safe spaces and their groups of people that feel good. So that was hard, um, which is was also good for me. I learned how to really get outside of myself and and find a way to allow people to let me in, to try and be charming and funny and to essentially sell myself as, as someone who could be a good friend and who could be someone that you wanted to be around. So um, I'm less good at that now as an adult, but um, I was pretty good at it when I was growing up. So, I mean, that was tough. My parents divorced. That was tough, but that's all like just normal stuff that I think happens in the life of kids now. Um, You know, early adulthood, Top Chef was really hard. Like the first season of Top Chef was just really, really hard. So you're a chef now and world-renowned, competitive, all of that stuff. But what did you, for myself, being an athlete, I always wanted to play football. I always wanted to play sports. And it sounds like for you, that was not initially what you aspired to be. So growing up, what did you want to be? What did you you desire to be? I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, The thought of cooking was not ever even a, a, a twinkle in my eye um, until much later. I, I'd worked in restaurants since I was 14 and just really from making milkshakes to um, washing dishes to host, to busser, server, bartender. Um, but I'd never really thought about going into the kitchen. It never really interested me until it did. So I, um, yeah, I went to college and I was um, a competitive debater and I wanted to be an attorney. What was it about being an attorney that interests you in that? And was it before or after you almost got put beyond the wall? (laughs) It was um, probably during and after. Um, (laughs) I don't think one inspired the other. For me, it was a sense of um, finding justice in the world and being able to advocate for people who did not necessarily have um, adequate representation and advocacy that was um, as as, appropriate or excellent as they should. You're going to college. You decide that, you know, maybe you want to possibly look at being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Criminal justice. Criminal justice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you dropped out of college and you yeah. you went to work as a bartender. Take us through that process. Well, um, I never stopped working in restaurants, even when I was in college. It was always the way I was paying for things. Um for my life. I didn't have a, I didn't come from a family that was able to pay for college or float me in any way or support me. Um, they loved me like crazy, but we didn't have any money. So, um, anything that any decisions I made or things I wanted, including my education was up to me. So I always worked in restaurants. 
Um, I was in school and I was starting to enjoy school less and less. Um, there was a lack of creativity in, in school that, and I'm also just not, I'm not someone who sits still very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just kind of a generally like busy antsy physically, like physically I'm like an antsy person. Um, so school didn't fit that well for me. I loved being challenged intellectually, but it was really just a lot about sitting still that I hated. So, um, I started just spending more time at the restaurant and making more money and, um, started dating my first girlfriend and, um, always thought I would go back to school that I was just going to like take a break. Parents don't let your kids take break from school. They'll never go back. Um, that's not true. People do. So I took a break and my first real relationship ended and I was pretty gutted. And my brother was living in Boston and he was um, at Emerson and he said, you know, you can always come live with me. And I was like, no, I'm fine. And then a couple of weeks later, I packed a couple of duffel bags and, and left to Boston and started working. I opened a, a Ritz Carlton here, like a new hotel. And I was really in over my head. September 11th happened and I was just really unhappy. And I, I didn't know what was out there. I knew that I was sort of managing a, a restaurant and a bar was more than I wanted to do at the time. So I just kind of, you know, was new to the city and I wanted to take time and bartend and just hang out and get to know the city. And that did not make itself available to me. So I ended up taking a job as like a busser. Um, I remember the GM saying, really, do you want this job? <laughs> like you've been managing restaurants. And I was like, no, just whatever. I just wanted to be at this specific restaurant. I really didn't even know why. Um, and I ended up kind of from busser to runner to the inside expediter, which is a really interesting position. It's the liaison between the kitchen and the dining room. It's the person that kind of calls the shots, tells the kitchen when to cook things, when to fire things, mm. sends things out to tables. And I ended up doing that and really watching the kitchen and not knowing what I was even asking, asked if I could learn a station and, mm. you know, got laughed at. It was a professional kitchen. Like there was a bunch of like young guys running around that were straight out of like the CIA and New England culinary school and like really great schools. And, um, you know, I didn't know how to chop an onion. So after like lots of begging and making fun of me and laughing at me, my chef allowed me to start on a station. And I, I know that he thought that I would quit. Um, and I wanted to, I was really, really terrible at it. Like, like really like just laughable, like the basic things that I just had no idea. Um, and again, like that sort of competitive, maniacally 100% focused person comes out of me where I either get good or I get gone. And, um, it took me a while to get good. It took me probably a couple years. Um, but it was this thing that I, found myself, no pun intended, it, it was hungry for it all the time. Mm -hmm. It was endlessly fascinating. It was physical. It was creative. Um, whatever level I could reach, there was always one more to go, right? Like there was no, like, oh, I've gotten to this place and I know everything. Like the more I knew, the more I understood how much more there is to know. And I still feel that way about it. Let's talk cooking. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. She smiled too. I heard her voice. Reflect. You totally did. Yeah. <laughs> So you said something and, and, and I'm going to repeat some things and I see some, I see some, so a, a, a pattern here. Mm. You're talking about, you're talking about how you, you know, when Thanksgiving and your mom with the poultry and, and, and just all the little side items, you said, you know, you like to have your station where you're cooking Yep. a certain way. And you said, but 
you you're either you have you don't like to stay still. You always have to be moving. So you're AD, ADD cooker-ish. And she's also seems like a little bit of um, OCD-ish in having everything. <laughs> she likes to be organized and everything in order. The diagnosis is real. <laughs> we, we don't just break down football. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. But, I, but also... Hold on, let me lay down on this couch real quick. Go ahead. Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm an older cat in in this in this game, so my rate's about three fifty an hour. <laughs> if you're effective, it's a bargain. So let's go. You're laying on a West Elm couch too. <laughs> <laughs> Things is expensive, I know. Of course, right? Um, but you uh, you said some some things I just picked up. So you add all of those issues that you are, and you add the competitiveness. You add military moving around always having to prove your point always change not settling for what someone else puts on you yep and like you said always hungry so when you decided and you woke up that day you say you know what i'm going to put myself out there i know i don't know anything about station cooking prepping you know what it looks like i'm gonna get this right and and I'm going to if I fail, I fail, but mm-hmm. I'm going to fail on my terms. <clears throat> what really happened when you woke up that day? And you say, you know, damn it, I'm cooking today. I'm going to attempt to change my career in the food industry into the point of where I like to call them the, 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 the nuts and bolts, the wheels of the engine. You know, a lot of times people want to be the engine or I want to be the headlights, but you can have great spark plugs. You can have a full tank of gas. But if those lug nuts and those wheels ain't on a car, right? Care what car are you going? Yeah. What car are you driving? Right. You ain't going nowhere. It's true. I've never seen a car on bricks stroll down the street. <laughs> I've seen a car on bricks now. <laughs> I've seen plenty of cars on bricks. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were, I can give you two very specific instances. Um, and you know, you, you learn to crawl before you walk, walk before you run, run before you jump. So I, the learning to crawl was tough. It was really, um, in some ways it was really humiliating because kitchens are inherently competitive. I was one of very few, I was one of, I can tell you three women in the kitchen of a staff of probably like 30. Um, and I didn't even really think about that at the time. I, I didn't wasn't considering like the gender imbalance. Um, I was just trying to stay alive. I didn't know what I was doing. I had all these guys running around me that were like, not only, you know, they were competitive and they were in hindsight insecure. I didn't know that at the time. And when people are insecure, they behave poorly towards each other and they put each other down to try and find some sort of, you know, BS pecking status. So um, it was really tough. And I was constantly a target of people's, um, of some people's, um, you know, ire and, and, um, bad behavior. And, and in some ways I let that drive me as much as it pissed me off. So I remember very specifically, you know, it it wasn't like I started cooking and like, I had found this glove that fit perfectly. It wasn't like a Cinderella story. I just, I just 100% combined Cinderella and OJ there. I don't know how it happened. Um, did you say OJ? (laughs) I said glove that fit. And then I said Cinderella story. I'm not sure where that came from. So, I'm just going to leave that alone. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to walk away. Not, so, um, <laughs> I heard it, but I was like, 
You're like, what? She did. I did. Must have quit. Um, Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I almost quit. I almost acquitted myself. So um, there was a Saturday night that I just, you know, wasn't good at it. And I would need help from like my chef. And I was also working a really busy station. I had a lot of pickups on my station. It was monster. And um, my chef or sous chefs would have to help me out every night and bail me out of the weeds and help me get my orders out. And I remember there was a Saturday night I came in, like I was always coming in early, but I came in super early, rearranged my station. I took um, tables and blocked myself in on my station to where I could not leave. So I had like all of what we call mise en place, like all the things that are prepped and ready to go to be able to cook your food when you come to the restaurant. I had stacks of mise en place. There's no way I was running out of anything. I was, I had just troubleshot for everything that had happened to me up to that point that was like an impetus to me succeeding. And that night just something clicked. And I remember thinking like, no matter what, I'm not going down and I'm not going to need help. And, you know, it was, it was just that mental step of saying, I'm going to do this. And there was no like skill set that I woke up that day with that I didn't have the day before. It was just the sheer will of not failing. I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather. Good to it. Good to it. Let's get down to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my day. That's my Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. 
My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. So then when did you realize that cooking could be a career? I was very attracted to the idea of what I was watching around me as I was cooking. Um, I knew that I wouldn't have like a normal nine to fiver kind of career. I knew I wouldn't have a normal life. I just sort of inherently knew that. Um, I was attracted to the idea that I could be creative and work with my hands in a really intelligent way that could make people happy. And I could also work and it's very much like being on a sports team, like working a team. Um, so it's, it's a solo effort and it's also hundred percent in a team all at the same time. So, um, I think about two years into cooking, I looked up and thought, okay, like this, this is really what I want to do. Um, I mean, and I was obsessed with it. Like I would go home. This is before, I mean, this is probably like AOL dial up, right? I did not have a computer (laughs) at home. I didn't have the money. So I would go home at night and, mostly people would go out drinking and I would just, I kept a notebook on me and every term that I heard that I didn't know I would write down because I didn't, I was shamed into not asking, you know, I'd ask what this meant and people would be like, what do you mean you don't know? So I stopped asking and started writing things down. And so I bought LaRusque astronomy, like a, the clearance version of it at my local bookstore. And I would go home at night and I would just open it up and start reading one word after another would lead to something else. And so I was studying like, just fastidiously during that time. And, you know, that was the idea that like, the more I knew, the more there was to know. And um, yeah, the world just opened itself up to me. And then it, it really did fit like a glove. It became my life and started to give me all these things that I enjoyed in my life, like satisfaction of others and um, creativity and being able to, there's something about cooking as a profession, especially when you're a line cook, you leave feeling either completely defeated or completely accomplished. Like you have, a, there's not a lot of middle ground. You don't leave going like, oh, that service was kind of okay. Like you have a great service or you have one that's really painful. And the idea of like stringing together multiple days and months of like having great services became an addiction and an obsession. Mm. And then, you know, as I was able to do that, like working harder and harder stations, I got to a point where like, I just, you couldn't weed me. Like you could, you could put me anywhere and let me learn the station for a week or whatever it might be. And there just was no, you could not weed me. You couldn't put me in the weeds. And that was like one of the most powerful feelings I've ever felt in my life. Like I remember working on a station in Nantucket. It was the fish station. The guy next to me, as sweet as he was, couldn't cook on the hot app station. I had 60% of the entree pickups and I was helping him with three of the app pickups. And, you know, it's frustrating as it was, I still could not be weeded. And I remember that that feeling was so deeply satisfying. Hmm. That doesn't mean I knew everything. That meant like I I had figured out how to line my station up and how to work and cook things in a way that was like strategic and organized and fast. Obviously, your work life is cooking. Yeah. But you can't necessarily check out Mm -hmm. when you get home. Or can you do, you know, how, how do you, how do you, you take you, off the chef? hat? Yeah. How do you yeah. take off the chef hat? You know, or do you just like, you know what? I'm cooking all day when I get home. Microwave. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a, 
there's a lot of hot dogs in my life. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie, there's a lot of hot dogs. Um, it, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, let me put some mustard in it. Hold on. <laughs> Grown ass woman, did you just say hot dogs, <laughs> hot dogs in your life? Guys, I eat like a freaking child. It's awful. Like no. I need to. I've been needing to change my eating habits for years. Eating? You have you been a world-renowned chef, and you, you eat be hot, Bobby Flay. You, you eat oh. hot dogs and chicken nuggets. <gasps> you got the macaroni and cheese. You got the forever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and not only that, I'll put them in the microwave till they like get shriveled and blow up. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> Come on. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> it's the worst. Um, I oh, no stop. Right. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm always so. <laughs> I'm really grateful when people want to cook for me. And, and it happens rarely because because I am a chef. Yeah, yeah. nobody want to cook for you. I don't want to, I don't know. It's, a pro- like, it's a problem. My girlfriend is a is like one of the best pastry chefs in the country. She still change, won't make like savory. Ask you about your right. girl girlfriend. I'm talking about your ass. I'm not oh, yeah. about, I don't want to cook for a world now and chef. Yeah. It. You know, you're, like, gonna, you're gonna redline my shit. Who day. wants to watch me play? Who, who wants to watch his daughter Mia six, uh-huh. my son do six, play catch when I <laughs> the football players right, 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 right in the front porch. Right. In fairness, but <laughs> you enjoy playing catch with your daughter. Of course you do. It's a totally different thing. Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be performative, I think is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> do I performatively cook for myself? No, I don't. So, I'll okay. do like project cooking, What's like pro- especially project cooking, like during the pandemic, like presentation for me, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a syrup sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's 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 right. with the syrup red and syrup. sugar packets, yeah. syrup and sugar packets, powder milk, um, right? <laughs> butter and sugar packets. That's what it used to be. Um, project cooking is like multi-step multi-day cooking right like if i'm making carnitas it's like four or five days um if i'm making bread or doing something uh another slight flex (laughs) oh just no just feed the homeless i'm just making some goods (laughs) i am not a good baker i'll say that i'm a really terrible baker Uh, she does have a weakness i do oh god i can't think kryptonite it's true (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it's too much brown sugar that's why it's too much brown sugar yeah i don't really um unless i've like told myself that i'm gonna eat healthy and that lasts for about three and a half days and then i'll cook it home for myself so with that being said so is cooking an escape for you it can be look it, it exists in two very different worlds right so like cooking professionally is completely dialed in focused under a clock to get it the best it can possibly be to our guests the best way we possibly can cooking at home is music and a glass of wine. And, you know, I still, I try to be as efficient as possible and not make a giant mess, but it's a different thing. Like it's, you know, there are so many things that live under the same umbrella that really are like very different things. So when I'm cooking at home and I am actually cooking at home, it's super enjoyable to me. I really, I still love it. Um, I always will. Um, But it's just an entirely different vibe, totally different feeling from cooking at work. 
So then what is your escape? What's your me time? Oh, Lord. Um, you really think I would have found it over the past year. In this interview, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, when working out, like it's definitely me time. Like I go to just a different place in my head where I'm able to um, kind of get to a point where I'm not thinking that much. Um, that's when I know like whatever it is class I'm taking or workout is not working. If I'm like in it and I'm super thinking about work, I know that it's not, I'm not where I need to be. Um, I spend a good amount of time in Cape Cod, like on the ocean, I go clamming. That's not a euphemism. I literally dig for clams in the ocean. Um, hold on, hold on. How, do, how do you, how do you dig for, I mean, you, go out and first off, listen, I'm, uh, you you probably Google me. You haven't. I'm five nine with tattoos, brother. Ain't <laughs> you ain't never I, dig for no I ain't dig for no clams. You should next time you're out, let me know. I'll take you clamming. Um, so I'm gonna take you up on that. No, you should. It's what, the most fun. Okay, here's what. What's my clothes? Because I I wear sweatpants or Jordan, so I'm not I'm not. I'm literally in ripped jeans and Jordans right now. So, but you ain't um, for enough. the culture. Here we go. Got my ones on. Um, so flex, but what's clam like? What is clamming though? Like, I don't, I'm I'm being funny, but I absolutely have no idea how to clam. It is, um, put you in like full waders, so like you know, we call them wellies here, like essentially like rain boots, like heavy duty rain boots, and like a some sort of waterproof pant or overall kind of thing. Um, and usually just a sweatshirt, and then depending on how cold it is. Mm-hmm. go out at low tide so essentially like the ocean has completely receded like for as far as the eye can see like miles i've been to myrtle beach so i'm you i know what uh, <laughs> yep. I, know, I know the tide changing exactly so go out about an hour before low tide and then into low tide um i usually walk about a mile and a mile and a half out mm-hmm. um and i have a rake with me and a bucket and i just start digging and if you find a couple together you have to be a certain size um you usually find a pretty good patch and then you just keep going and you keep digging until you have like you know the state allotted amount of clams that you can have wow see i'd never know what that was yeah yeah it's um you know there's oysters out there sometimes there's base gallops so but it's just it's you and the ocean Mm. and it's you know just connects you so for me it's it connects me so deeply to like time and place and where I am and how we get our food. And um, it's really, and it's gorgeous. It's just beautiful to stand out there. Do you, so I'm just thinking, um, do you do any gardening or anything? I do. I have a garden um, in, I do mostly things that I know that I will use a ton of gardening for me sort of started um, and I've done some farming projects, but for personally gardening for me started with like the annoyance. I use a lot of herbs in my cooking, whether it's home or whether it's professionally, but when I'm home, I get really irritated at paying like $2.99 or $3.99 for a bunch of herbs. It just makes me crazy. So I grow a lot of herbs. I grow things that I know that I'm going to use tomatoes, herbs, chilies. Those really are like the kind of the crux of the three things that I grow at home. My wife picked up gardening. She, she does a, which I, I really wasn't into um, on the garden, but she got me hooked on. We do turkey bacon, uh, turkey um, ham, and she does rainbow chard. Oh, so I love rainbow chard. So it's like a really healthy version of greens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dynamic. So 
with all the demands from you running a restaurant, creating a museum, uh, the concept, managing people, how do you manage your mental health? It's a great question. Um, the exceedingly honest answer right now is I don't know that I'm doing it very well. Mm. Appreciate you um, being honest on that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I go, I think there's this idea that mental health is like, and managing it is a place. And I appreciate you guys asking because it's such an important topic. I feel like the perception is managing mental health is like fixing a broken leg, right? Like um, that once you go through all the work to do it and you get there, it's set, you're done, you're running and walking like you used to, and it's fine. Um, That's not how mental health works at all. It's a constant process. And, um, you know, much like rehabbing something, if you stop that rehab process, whether it's not eating well or drinking too much or sleeping, not sleeping enough or um, whatever those those pillars are that keep you healthy. Um, it's very hard to, to maintain really positive and strong mental health. So we have seven restaurants. We have closed all but one of them um, to sort of hang on and hibernate so we can open again. Um, and right now we are at the point where we're looking to reopen all of them. And, you know, opening six restaurants at one time is daunting. And so that's, you know, that's something that's on my mind a lot right now. And I don't know that um, until those things are done, like it's really important for me to find ways to eat healthy, work out, take care of myself, drink less, drink lots of water, like, and doing those things along the way will be helpful in this journey. It is my habit always to like hold my breath and try and swim underwater and not treat myself well until I feel like I can come up for air when it's all over. And, you know, that's habits that I developed in my twenties and early thirties that no longer serve me in my forties. So, um, when I'm managing it, well, I'm in therapy, I'm working out, I'm eating well, and I'm not drinking. Tiffany, we really appreciate your yeah. time. It's been um, one personally. It's that was been, fun. It's been. You guys, this really was fun. Thank you. We really, I really appreciate it. And watching a person, <clears throat> you know, I know for myself, watching people on TV, there can you, you know, you you flip the coin, heads, they could be a dirt bag, tails, they could be a genuinely awesome person. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say, I got to go with Tails. You've been a genuine, awesome person and love watching what you do. But now knowing the individual that I'm seeing judge mm-hmm. work, it just makes me want to just go back and go back and look at the shows and see now from what perspective you're coming from. So thank you for the opportunity. Of oh getting. my gosh, that was a hell of a compliment. You guys, this has been really, really fun and interesting. And the questions have been so, so good. And you guys are really fun and easy to talk to. And I thank you for that. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Um, and um, <clears throat> I'm on East Coast and I love cooking. Um, I'm not a great cook, but I'm cooking well enough that I've tricked one beautiful woman into uh, enjoying my cooking. And then uh, I brainwash the other four of my kids. So <laughs> that's good enough. That's all you need. That's all I need. But I really appreciate it and appreciate your time. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll run back into each other. But uh, I would love that. I would love that. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. That is me. 
is a production of Cut To It, LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Lebrecht, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. Theme music by Alex Johnson, lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.